right, boy, it's good to be back with you. As I said before, um, we have been walking through a series called Stand, and it has to do with stories of faith from the book of Daniel. And each week we've been uh, looking at a different story. Again, um, I do get the fiery furnace story, which is next week, so I'm excited about that. You can't have that one, Pat. I'm taking that one for myself. But uh, I tell you, the, the spirit, you know, the spirit of darkness almost got into me because when I found out I was going to be gone and Pat was going to be preaching, I almost flip-flopped today and last week so I could have the lion's den, but I gave it to you. So anyway, um, this story that we're going to look at today comes from Daniel chapter 10. And some of you know the book of Daniel because of those stories that you heard in Sunday school if you grew up in the church. Many of you may have, many of you, some, some of you probably did not. But we, we remember the stories of Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they're great stories of what happened in that situation and how God worked to protect people. But what we don't often know about Daniel is that Daniel is a book filled with controversy. It's one of those books that scholars like to study till they're blue in the face and not only study, but what is Christianity's other favorite thing to do? Argue, Right? I'm sorry, debate. Is that a better word for you? We love to debate things. And the book of Daniel has a lot that's debatable, like the book of Revelation. And what I've learned over the years is that Christians love the parts of the Bible that you can argue over. Amen? Some of you are looking at me blankly. You have no idea what I'm talking about. We, there, you know, there are factions within Christianity that seem to love to major in the minors. And I want to caution you today that this portion of the book of Daniel has some things in it that are kind of weird, kind of hard to understand. And I want to encourage you as you read this not to go too deep into those things because what often happens as a church and, and as Christianity as a whole is we tend to look at the things that we can argue over and spend our time arguing about them, all the minute little details, instead of learning from the, the truths that are right there in our face, okay? And today I want us to find the truths that are right in our face from this passage and we're going to read some other stuff that's interesting too. And that stuff you can go study on your own for a while if you want. I'm sure Dennis has opinions. I'm sure Pat has opinions. You can pull them all and find out. So let's take a look together. Daniel chapter 10. Now Daniel at this point we believe was an old man probably in his 80s. He spent a lot of time in captivity. He was captured and taken captive when he was a very young man, and now he's probably in his 80s at this point. And all that time, he has seen, seen kings come and go, and actually the, the, the um, power has transferred from Babylonian kings to Medes and Persians, and so there's been this giant changeover of power. But through all of those changes, somehow Daniel has stayed at the top of the heap. He stayed under the king's um, eye, so to speak, and, and the kings that came along, whether they knew him or not, eventually came to trust him as an advisor. And so Daniel's an old man. He's been praying all of this time for the nation to be restored and for the temple to be rebuilt. His desire was to see his people go home and rebuild the city that he loved and, and that he had started to grow up in before he was captured and to worship in the temple that, that was created to hold the, the Lord's name. And so as we read just a, a little while ago during worship, the prayer of his heart was that God would restore the kingdom of Israel. And yet in all that time, nothing had happened. He's been fasting. He's been praying. We find out in the first five book, uh, verses of, of chapter 10 that Daniel has been on a 21-day fast. Now, it's not not a complete fast. 
it says that he avoided rich foods, that he avoided rich drinks. And so basically he was eating only what was sustainable, only what he needed. And the Bible says that he didn't put any ointment on himself. Now I heard a pastor say once that that means he didn't bathe. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I'm here to tell you, if I ever do a 21 day fast, I will be bathing just so you know, just to be safe. But Daniel goes on this fast, and interestingly enough, if the timing is what we think it is, we think that this fast may have been happening during the celebration of one of the Jewish festivals. And so it would be like us going on a diet during Christmas, right? You're denying yourself the fun of the celebration, even though you do the remembrance part of it. And so Daniel is feeling a little bit weak, and and he has been praying hard for 21 days, the scripture says. Let's take a look at Daniel chapter 10, verse 5, and read from there. He says, I looked up and I saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished brass and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. All right, let's stop right there for a moment and take a look. Now, Daniel is quick to say that no one else saw what he saw. And once again, don't get too caught up in who this person is. In fact, let's just talk about this guy for a minute. His description is very odd. It's very different. It doesn't sound like any naturally occurring creature. And so most believe that this was an angel. As we read on, you're going to find that there's more evidence that that he fought side by side with another angel and that he was, in fact, one of the heavenly hosts. Now, there are a lot of people who think that this may have been the pre-incarnate Christ. How many of you know who Jesus is? Raise your hand if you know who Jesus is. The pre-incarnate Christ, some of us tend to forget that Jesus existed before he came to earth, right? He didn't just, you know, happen during that moment. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus existed from the beginning. And so some believe that this may have been the image of the pre-existent Christ who was making himself known before he actually came to this earth. I tend to shy away from that, even though the description does look like another description of Christ from Revelation, simply because of what the rest of the passage has to say about this particular messenger's role and who came to aid him. We're going to read about that in a minute. And so as this person comes, um, Daniel is the only one who gets to see this vision. Now that's got to be weird, right? It's almost like the Apostle Paul. Some of you might remember that when Paul was on his way to Damascus, a giant light showed up in the sky. In fact, some people believe it knocked him off of his horse, even though a horse isn't even really mentioned in the passage. But there's this giant light in the sky and everybody heard the voice, but nobody could see it. And Daniel's kind of in the same situation. He sees what's happening, but no one else sees it. In fact, Scripture tells us that all the other people ran away. They took off. They left him all alone to handle this vision on his own. Have any of you ever experienced something like that where maybe God revealed something to you or you heard a message from God that nobody else seemed to really get excited about? I got to tell you, I experienced this almost every Sunday morning, right? I'm studying all week long. I'm reading stuff. I'm finding stuff out. And it's like God's opening my eyes to new truths. And I'm like, oh, this is so exciting. And then I get in here and tell you people and you go. (sighs) What I've learned is that that's okay. It's all right. Here's the thing. 
God's messages aren't always for everybody, right? Sometimes you or I may receive a message or a revelation from God that isn't for all the people around us, like Daniel did. Those other men didn't need to see what he saw, apparently. This message was for him and him alone. And God may speak to some of you in that way, and maybe he has. Maybe you've been reading your daily devotions, and you found something you thought was just breathtaking and life-changing, and you're just so excited. And so you run and get your wife or your husband or your kids or your best friend or whoever, and you say, look what I found in Scripture. This is so awesome. This is cool. This is going to change everything. And they go, that's nice. Is it time for lunch yet? You know, are we, are we ready to go? You, are you ready to go do whatever? Let's go golfing, right, Pat? Let's go, let's go do something. And you're like, no, you don't understand. This is life-changing, and they just don't see what you saw. I gotta tell you, that happens sometimes, and it's okay that that happens. This happened to me once. It's happened several times in my life where I kind of had one of these revelations that I thought was just life-changing, and, and I, at, at this particular one I'm gonna share with you, I couldn't really tell anybody about. Um, some of you know that the first church I ever pastored was in Defiance, Ohio. How many of you know you should never move to a place called Defiance if you're a pastor, <laughs> right? It's just stupid. I don't know what I was thinking. To make matters worse, this was a church split. In other words, there was a church and a bunch of people got mad at the church, so they left and started a new church, and that was the church that I was called to pastor. Now, the funny part is, I didn't find that out until halfway through the process. And I prayed long and hard, God, you sure? And he said, yes, so we went. So this is a, a church in defiance. <laughs> Some of you get the humor in that? Anyway, we went there, and we loved the people, and they loved us, and it was a great experience, honestly. There were some really obstinate people in that church. In fact, a, pa a pastor that I knew who had pastored me when I was like three years old told my mother, if he can last a year there, he can pastor anywhere. <laughs> we didn't just last a year there. We actually had a great experience, but I think some of those folks had kind of softened over the years. But anyway, we were there pastoring, and they were this, this split, and I hated that. One of my one of my biggest pet peeves in the church is division. I don't think man has any right to divide God's church. I am truly a Church of God Reformation movement person when it comes to that belief. I believe that we should all be united and be one church. And so pastoring a split put me in a serious conflict of, of just spirituality. And so uh, during the time that I was there, um, I prayed, I gotta tell you, I spent a lot more time alone with God then than I do now. And I'm confessing that to you. But as a 24-year-old senior pastor where everybody in the church was older than me, I was scared out of my mind that some of them might see through me and figure out that I had no idea what I was doing, right? And so when you're in that situation, you spend a lot of time with God. And I was doing a study called Experiencing God. Some of you might have been through that. And it was talking about how you can look at your past and draw a line through the, the events of your past. And sometimes that line would continue and you would be able to then tell where God is leading you because of what you've been through and what he's prepared you for. And so as I'm doing this study, um, I was supposed to bow my head and close my eyes. I, you know, I'm a rule follower, so I always do what the book says, you know. So I bowed my head and I closed my eyes and I was just asking God, show me what I've been through so that I can see what I'm going forward. And I saw an image in my mind. This is the only time I will claim that I've ever seen a vision. I saw an image in my mind of my people from that church at the church they had left worshiping. And it startled me so badly that I opened my eyes immediately. Because one of the best ways you can get fired from a church split is to tell them it's time to go back right? 
And, and I'm like, God, <laughs> what? And he kind of said, I say said, I never have heard an audible voice, I'll confess that. But the impression that I received kind of in my spirit was, it's not for you to do, it's for me to do. Be patient. And so I swallowed that, and I didn't tell anybody. I think I told my wife. I went to a conference about six months later, and the guy was talking about visions, and he described a vision he had had and how it came to pass, and I got even more scared. And I talked to him about it, and he said, be patient. And so I began from that moment forward praying about that vision. But let me tell you something. That was not something I could share. God did not reveal that to my elders. That would have been convenient. He didn't reveal it to the other people in the church. That would have been awesome because then we could have celebrated what God was going to do together. But he didn't do any of that. And so there I was by myself hearing that vision. And listen, sometimes in your spiritual life, God will reveal something to you that is not for everybody else. So don't be discouraged if you go tell somebody the exciting news God gave you and they look at you like you're looking at me right now. Amen? Sometimes that message is just for one person. And that's the way it was for Daniel. And so Daniel sees this vision and he begins to think about what this is going to do. He was left alone there to see this amazing vision. And, and so let's continue on, verses 8 and 9. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My face grew deathly pale and I felt very weak. Then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. How many of you think that's a wussy move right there, just to fall down? I got news for you. If you saw what he was sawing, I think most of us would be lined up right next to him. Why do you think when an angel appears, the first words out of his mouth are what? Fear not, right? Because they're terrifying. And so he falls down under the weight of this message. You know, maybe it was the fast that he was on. He hadn't had a lot of nutrition. Maybe he was just tired. He was definitely at an advanced age at this point. He was tired of praying. He was tired of waiting. He was tired of seeing his people suffer without a home. Um, he, he didn't see any progress. He didn't see any evidence that God was at work. But there's also this idea of a heaviness that falls when the presence of God and the message of God comes. And some of you may have experienced that in your lives where, you know, when the presence of God falls, sometimes you can kind of feel it on your shoulders. I, I again, had this experience once way back in the beginning of my ministry when I had been working full-time for a trucking company doing their computer stuff and, and pastoring a little church while really just preaching at a church. And I was tired and I was worn out because that church didn't want to grow. All they wanted me to do was stand up front and preach so they could have services and they just didn't want to do anything else, and I was so frustrated. I wasn't doing them any good. I wasn't doing my family any good, and I actually had a pager. I had one of those kind of jobs where I could be preaching, and the pager goes off, and I have to leave and go fix somebody's computer or, or reprogram their phone system or whatever, and so I was just so frustrated, and so down at the church one Sunday morning, I would go down early and fold and print the bulletins every Sunday. Sounds like a fun gig, doesn't it? And so I was down at the church and I was folding the bulletins and usually I would kind of pray as I did that and I felt this kind, of, this kind of heaviness start to fall and so I went to the altar and I just knelt down. It was about 5.30 in the morning. I knelt down at the altar and as I started to go down to my knees, I almost felt like a heaviness pushing down on my shoulders and, and I knew that God was there and so I took the opportunity. I had some things I wanted to say to God and I took the opportunity and I said, I said God, you called me to ministry, but ministry isn't paying my bills. I get 100 bucks a week for preaching here. 
and I can't support my wife and my child. We had just one back then. Those were the days. <laughs> just kidding. I told him, I can't support my family, but, but I'm, I'm doing this other job, and it's pulling my, my heart in another direction, and even though, honestly, that job cured my computer addiction because I hated computers after that job for a long time, I'm like, God, if that's what'll pay the bills, that's what I've got. So just, would you please just release me from my call to ministry and I'll just go do computer stuff. And I heard an unequivocal no. So I got bold. And I said, fine, then you find me a place to go. And after I said that, I kind of felt the heaviness lift. And ironically, my spirit lifted as well. And I got up off there and I did the sermon that morning and I went about my business and I was able to continue. But when the, the presence of God was there, when he was there listening, I could feel a palpable presence. And there may be a time in your life where that happens. And if that happens, I hope that you sit in it for a minute. I hope you don't hurry through it. I hope that you welcome it and just allow God to say what he needs to say because sometimes those are the moments that we find out things that are gonna direct the rest of our lives. I'm going to save the rest of that story for later just to keep you enthralled, right? And so there was this heaviness that fell on him. Daniel chapter 10, starting in verse 10, let's continue. Just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling to my hands and knees. The man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. Let me read that again. Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Daniel stood in faith in that moment. He had been standing in faith. But in that moment, he made it physical, and he stood up in faith. And when you're standing in faith, there are three things that I want you to remember. The first is this. God cares about you more than you know. God cares about you more than you know. He said a hand touched him and, and lifted him, even if only to his hands and knees at first. When he felt the touch of that hand, he lifted him up and he was able to get on his hands and knees. Um, man, there's just so many good songs that echo that sentiment. How many of you have ever heard, he touched me? Good old Bill Gaither tune with chords I can't play on the guitar, or we would do it here. Great song, he touched me, oh, he touched me, and oh, the joy that fills my soul. There's another old hymn, and we didn't sing this one very often at my home church, but I can remember it from when I was a kid. These are the words that said, from sinking sand he lifted me. With tender hand he lifted me. From shades of night to plains of light, oh, praise his name, he lifted me. God lifts us by the touch of his hands. He lifts us by his presence. And he said to Daniel, you are very precious to God, so stand up. What does that word precious mean? Do you have anybody who's precious to you? I got news for you. I really like all of you. And I even would go as far as to say, I love all of you. But there's only a few people in this world that I would confess are truly precious to me. Most of them are my family. My wife is precious to me because a long time ago when a lot of people in our church were struggling with marriage issues, this guy came out with a book series that healed a lot of marriages and I went, geez, I better find out what he's saying. And so one of the first things that he said was you need to treasure your spouse as if they are a precious gift. And I remembered that. 
And that's why at times I try to do things for her because I don't want her to have to do them. It's not because she makes me. To the outward appearance, I may look whipped, okay? (laughs) But there are things that I do for her, not because I have to, but because she is precious to me. And I don't want her to have to. Taking out the garbage, I don't ever want her to have. She sometimes does if it needs done. But I don't want her to have to touch that because she's kind of a germaphobe and ick, right? Yuck. (laughs) It's gross. And so I do that. When she was pregnant, I scrubbed toilets because the smell of the stuff made her sick. And for some reason, ever since then, it's made her sick. (laughs) But she's precious to me. And so I do. My children are precious to me. I would do anything for it. There was a point in, in my life where I realized that the church was more precious to me at times than my children. When I was missing their activities because there was always another meeting to go to. And there came a moment where I said, I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> there may be times that I have to miss something. Yes, I'm certainly not going to always be able to go, but as much as it is within me to, to, to do, I'm going to arrange things so I can be present and do stuff with my children. And that landed me in a whole heap of trouble because I ended up being band, camp, band, band booster president and band camp leader. If you've ever done that job, holy cow, that's a big job. But you know what? My children are precious to me. And even though they're married, three of them, and one more going off and one still at home, they are still precious to me. And if they need something, I will be there. My family is precious to me. And you know what? I believe God said Daniel was precious to him because Daniel is his child. I got news for you. Daniel's not his only child. Look at your neighbor and say, you're his child too. Go ahead, do it real quick. Say, you're his child too. And you are precious to God. Just like Daniel was precious to God, you are precious to God. God uses the analogy throughout Scripture of us being his family, his children. You are precious to him. He would do anything for you. He did do anything for you. If you had been the only one on earth, I believe Jesus would have still died for you. You are precious to God. God cares about you far more than you know. Daniel 10, 12, let's continue. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven from the first day. Did you see that? Look up there. From the first day you began to pray, your answer, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come to answer your prayer. Now here's where it gets a little weird. For 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. How many days did Daniel fast? Anybody remember? 21. The moment he began to pray and fast, God heard his request and dispatched the answer in the form of a messenger. But that messenger was held up. Then Michael, he says, one of the archangels came to help me. Boy, that's hitting with the big gun, isn't it? Michael, I mean, isn't he the one that's like, whoo, I don't know who this other guy is, but he must be close. And left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, once again, don't get caught up in the details. I believe there is spiritual warfare in the world. Don't ever fall for the lie that what you can physically see is the only thing that exists because that's not true. There are forces at war with each other that you and I do not see on a daily basis. Now, by the same token, don't blame everything on the devil. 
because we cause most of the trouble we get ourselves into ourselves. I didn't think I'd get an amen on that one, (laughs) but it's true. But make no mistake about it, there are spiritual forces at work. What does the New Testament say? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark world. Listen, there are forces at work. We don't know who this prince of Persia or the prince of the kingdom of Persia was, but my guess would be that he was a a demon of some sort that was influencing the kings of that great nation, much like he's still probably doing today with many of our nations maybe even Persia. You know, that's Iraq area, kind of. But anyway, it's just an awesome story. I was dispatched the moment you prayed, and I got held up because of some business, but now I'm here. Listen, the second concept is this. The first one was God cares about you more than you know. The second is God is doing more than you can see. God is doing more than you can see. Since the first day you started to pray, your request had been heard. For 21 days, he was blocked. The answer to Daniel's prayer was given the moment he started to pray and fast. The angel was on its way, but Daniel couldn't see it. For 21 days, he struggled, he prayed, he fasted. He probably believed God wasn't hearing him. His prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. You ever had that experience? For all of that time, he struggled. And I gotta tell you, um, That's not a good feeling to be in, excuse me. (coughs) And even though God hadn't seen him or he couldn't see God at work, he felt like God neglected him, but in fact, the answer was coming. It was on its way. If you've been praying about something for a long time, I want you to know that you shouldn't give up. Stand in faith. God may have sent the answer already and you just don't see it happening yet. The fact that you can't see something happening does not necessarily mean that you've been forgotten about. You know, I don't know what it is you're praying about, but my guess would be some of you here have spent a long time praying about some pretty important things. I'm a parent now of adult children. You know what I pray for? I pray that my children will follow in the steps of God. And you know what? I've been so so fortunate so far because most of them are. All of them are as far as I know, but you know, I'm leaving that option open. But man, to the outward appearance, they're doing what God wants. But my heart breaks for my own parents who didn't have that. And for some of you who don't have that. And some of you have been praying for your children that they would just give up and surrender to Christ. Some of you have been praying for someone who's got cancer, someone who's sick to death, and you know it, and you want them healed, but God doesn't seem to be answering. Some of you are praying about a marriage that is on the rocks, and you want with all that is in you to save it, but maybe your partner doesn't. Maybe they've given up. Some of you are praying for things that you've been praying for for years. My my parents, my grandmother prayed for people that they knew that weren't believers to the day that they died and never saw any evidence. But listen, when we stand in faith, that means we keep on praying and we keep on going. And I want you to know that, that just because you can't see any evidence that anything is happening, that does not mean God isn't working. It could be happening and you just can't see it yet. God is working it out. You remember the prayer that I prayed in Elwood? The prayer that I prayed, God, take me somewhere else put me somewhere else? Did I share that story? I can't remember now what I shared and what I didn't. That's terrible. I'm sorry, I'm getting all messed up up here. 
The rest of the story is this. A week later, I get a call out of the blue from a church I'd never heard of in my entire life. Cornerstone Church of God in defiance. <laughs> I just love saying in defiance. It's fun. And out of the blue, we, we heard you might be interested in becoming our pastor. From who? Nobody knew what I was going. Nobody knew that I had even opened the door to that. Nobody knew about the conversation I had with God. From the moment I laid that at the altar that morning, the following Saturday, my dad goes golfing at the Church of God golf outing here in Michigan. It's a random scramble. They draw names out of a hat to see who golfs with who. My dad drew the, the general secretary of the Church of God in Michigan, Jerry Nevitt, out of that basket. The next, like, Monday morning, that church called Jerry Nevitt to see if they had any candidates for him or for them to, to become their pastor. In fact, they had three they wanted to ask him about. He nixed all three of them and said, you don't want any of those guys. Yes, state pastors sometimes do that. And then they said, do you know of anybody else? Well, Jerry Nevitt had just spent the day golfing with my dad, and Jerry Nevitt was her pastor when she was growing up. And Jerry Nevitt was a confidant of mine. He, he and I had, had several conversations. He guided me and led me and helped me into ministry, but I hadn't talked to him in months. And so my name popped out of his mouth, and the rest, as they say, is history. You see, the moment I prayed and the moment I left it there, God started working and worked it out, but I couldn't see it happening you want to hear the end of that other story? In Defiance, Ohio, when I saw that vision, I worked for four years after that trying to look for opportunities to make that happen. I made a friendship with the pastor of that other church. He and I became really good friends. His name is Rick Rufinock. Ironically, I was at the International Convention of the Church of God sitting in the General Assembly and a caller phoned in a question or an online person typed in a question and they said, what's the name? Rick Rufinock. And I almost stood up and screamed, I know that guy! <laughs> I didn't. She stopped me. But anyway. But Rick Rufinock, I, I built a friendship with him. I did everything I could to talk about unity, but nothing seemed to be working. I announced that I was leaving on a Sunday morning. The next uh, Tuesday, I think it was, was Halloween night. Someone burned my church on Halloween night. Threw accelerant up against the outside wall of the church and burned one whole area. The, the fire got up through the eaves and into the attic and burned down through the attic and destroyed one wing. The firewall saved the other two other than smoke damage. So it was awesome, really awesome. I'm getting ready to leave this church and now we have no building to meet in. Doesn't that sound like fun? My library, hundreds of books, all smoked. Fish, fireman came out with my goldfish <laughs> in a little cup of water. He turned around. I threw the thing in the weeds. I'm like, seriously, dude? I don't care about the dumb fish. It turned my world upside down. We had no idea what we were going to do. We can't worship in our building. I've got like six weeks before I have to leave and go to this other church. Six weeks that I was planning to use to try to build the foundation for the next guy to come to get things straight, to get things together. God, how am I going to do this now? And you know what? Rick Rufinock from the First Church of God, the church my church had split off from, called me up. We heard you don't have a building. You're right. We're willing, if you want, to move our service back one hour so that you can have the early time slot. You can have your service at 9 o'clock, and we'll meet at 11. 
I thought, Rick, that's, that's a beautiful offer. I love you for it. I don't think my leadership will do it. I mean, this is the church they left, okay? Burned bridges and left. So I called my eldership together and I said, we have an offer. And they said, let's do it. What? And so we, we go to that church on that Sunday morning and their people, some of their people came early just to welcome us and, and to make us feel at home. We started worshiping. I'm standing up in front. Our worship leaders worshiping or leading worship and I'm standing up in front because that's what pastors used to do. They used to sit on the platform the whole service. I'm glad we don't anymore. Wait, I'm up here anyway. Anyway, so I'm looking at my song sheet because I couldn't see the projector. It was behind me, and I'm reading the songs, and I'm just singing along. And I look up, and I literally saw the image that God had showed me four years before. And I know you think I'm making that up, but I am not. It was not exactly the same image, but it was close enough for me to know that God had just worked it out. Now, the rest of the story isn't as happy. They didn't get back together. It didn't all work out, but bridges were built. And when that church eventually did close down a few years later, a lot of those people went back home again because of that. Let me tell you something. You don't have to see something happening for God to be working behind the scenes, working it out for you. So if you're that person, I know for, I might be preaching to the choir here. Maybe nobody's in this situation, but there might be somebody who has been praying for years Listen, stand in faith. Keep going. God is in the process of working it out, or at least he could be. Now, recognize he doesn't always give us the answer we want, but he will answer. I believe it with all my heart. <sighs> Daniel 10, 17. One more. Oh, I'm out of time. Here we go. How can someone like me, Daniel said to the, this, the guy, your servant talked to you, my Lord. My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Then the one who looked like a man touched me again. He got two touches by an angel. Now that's better than the show, right? Touched by an angel, you guys remember that? Okay, that was a cheap shot, I'll give you that. All right. And I felt my strength returning. Don't be afraid, he said. There it is again, fear not. For you are very precious to God. Second time he said it, he must mean it. Peace, be encouraged, be strong. And as he spoke these words to me, I suddenly felt stronger and said to him, please speak to me, my Lord, for you have strengthened me. The third concept is this. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And we don't know what our weakness really is until we see his strength working through it. Paul echoed the same sentiment in 2 Corinthians I'll just give you it in a nutshell. Um, each time Paul says that I beg God to take away the thorn in the flesh, he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So Paul says, I'm now glad to boast about my weakness because God has a way of working through it. Listen, I got to tell you, there have been days recently that I have felt the need for God to work through my weakness. Amen. Some of you have no idea what COVID and all this other nonsense has been like for pastors. I'm not the only one. Pastors have struggled during this time because we watched our nation and our congregations divided not only by a disease, which most of us thought would bring the church together and ended up dividing us, and then the politics that followed divided us even further. 
We've had all this stuff going on, not being able to preach to live crowds, which is a way bigger deal than you think. Just ask Pastor Pat. He does it on Wednesdays. Well, there's a few here usually, but not a lot. It's way more fun to preach to a lot of you. There's been so much going on, and there have been days recently where I have come into this place, looked at the worship and the sermon, and said, God, I don't think I can today. Can I just tell you that? God, I don't think I can today. And it's usually on those days that I preach the best darn sermon ever. And it's frustrating, okay? Because it's not the sermon that I worked my brains out and put extra time into and found 15 sources and three illustrations and had it all canned and all together and came in with confidence that usually hits home. That's the one that I watch as it flies over your head and hits the back wall. It's the one that there was two funerals and a wedding this week and I didn't get enough sleep and the technology blew up right before church so I didn't have time to adequately prepare and I barely understand what the text says because I've been wrestling with it all week and still don't have any idea and I get up in front of you people and you love it. It almost makes me want to go, why do I prepare? Right? Now that's not the answer either. But listen, in our weakness, he has an opportunity that he can't take when we feel strong. Because as long as I'm showing you my strength, that's all you're going to see. But when you see my weakness and you see it work out, then you know God did it, not me. And listen, I got to tell you that I'm a man who is filled with weakness. Filled with weakness but I'm also a man who believes that God can work through that weakness to accomplish great things. And anyone who is pastoring better be in that situation today because human strength alone will not allow the church to succeed in this time that we're living in. In our weakness, he is made strong. If you're feeling weak today, let me give you encouragement. It is in those moments of weakness that God can work through you the best. So take it as a privilege to be weak in his presence, knowing that he can make you strong. Standing in faith is only possible when we come to understand that God cares about us far more than we know, that God is doing more than we can see happening at the time, and that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. I know it's over time, but I just want to ask this one last question, and, and I'll just invite you to respond if you feel like it. You don't have to bow your heads. You don't have to close your eyes. Is anybody here willing to admit that maybe you're in the situation that Daniel was in where you have been praying and struggling with something for months, weeks, years, days, but it feels to you like a lifetime and you're starting to wonder, does God even hear my prayers? Is anybody willing to just lift a hand and say, that's me today? Listen, I'm looking at your faces and and I don't know what your situation is, but I'm gonna do everything in my power to remember to pray for you. And if you're here today and you didn't raise your hand, but that's you, I'm going to pray a general prayer for you also because I know that there's probably more than just them. Listen, let me encourage you. God has a way of working these things out, but sometimes it takes months, sometimes it takes years, and sometimes we never may see the answer that we thought we would see. But I I, I can assure you God has a plan and it will work out. Let me pray for you. Our Father, we come before you today. Lord, I just want to lift up each person that is here today that that lifted their hand. And 
maybe even many more that didn't that are really struggling with some things that they've been praying for for a long time. And I just want to ask God that you would give them the courage and the strength to stand in faith, that they would feel the touch on their shoulder, that they would feel the heaviness of your presence, that they would be allowed to go down maybe under that heaviness so that you can touch them and bring them back up again so that they can stand upright and and walk in faith knowing that, that God, you may not be answering visibly, but you are, are concerned about us and we are precious to you and so your answer will come in time. I pray that you would embolden us that even as a church when we don't see things happening like we think they should that we would still celebrate the little victories and celebrate our faithfulness in you because Lord this is a church that's been through a lot over the years and you have brought us through and we have won some great victories and Lord just the, the group that's here today the crowd that I see today and the way that they worship is encouragement to me that this church is not dead that we're going forward and we're going to win this community for you not single-handedly but together with the other bodies of believers in this community. God, give us the courage to look for you at work even if we don't see it happening immediately. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, boy, he's fired up today. (laughs) Have a great week. Don't forget to come to my house tonight and bring food. All right.